Praise the Lord. How many love Jesus today? In fact, I'm going to ask this for all three of our campuses all at once. How many love Jesus today? What's up, Maple Grove, Elk River, Spring Lake Park? It's good to be in the house worshiping Jesus today in the sunshine and the air is warming up. I heard birds chirping today and uh, it just warmed my heart. I don't know what it was. Hopefully nothing like surprises them and the, you know, the uh, snow ap apocalypse or something comes in and we're dumped on the snow and the birds are hurting. <laughs> I feel bad for them. We are in week number two of our series called Connect. And the title of my message today is Between the Head and Heart. I'm, I want to catch you up a little bit for those of you that weren't a part last week. Been talking about how through the entire month of the series that we're having, I'm asking you to read through Ephesians over and over and over again. And to recognize in Ephesians, Paul was writing to a group in Ephesus that really was disconnected. They, were, uh, they had other cultures, other ideas about how life worked and how people were to relate to one another. And Paul was bringing in this whole new idea that uh, there was a better way, and it's the way of Jesus, and to follow him and to do what he's asked us to do. And, and uh, when I was talking about this last week, one of the things that we had was a puzzle on the platform, and uh, throughout this service, I'm, I've got help today, and, uh, and they're helping me out, and they're just going to be working on the puzzle, trying to put the pieces together. This is a 4,000-piece puzzle, and, uh, and of course, uh, how many of you know that that's complex? It's not going to go quickly. It's going to take some time, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, we'll get there over the next few weeks. We're not expecting it to get done within the confines of my message, although I could preach for a really long time if we need to. <laughs> Today, my thought is this, when it comes to connections, when things don't fit, when it doesn't seem to be working, that that's where frustration comes up, and that's where anger is in our culture right now. We have an angry culture. It's not the way it should be, and why do I feel the way that I'm feeling, and this is maddening, I'm frustrated, and we love to post our thoughts and our feelings and on social media and it goes out on Twitter and it goes out on Facebook, but nobody's necessarily getting happy. Nobody's getting their frustrations resolved. It's, it's actually getting worse and we're more disconnected than ever. And uh, here's, here's the thing though, when we are saying things like life shouldn't be this way, why is this happening to me and why am I so alone and what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? All of the majority of those statements and thoughts are happening inside our head. It's like things are going on in the room and we don't even know about it. There's, it's happening already. In fact, today, you've already been thinking different things like, oh, Pastor Nate's shirt, that's interesting. Or uh, you've been thinking about the people across the room and you're thinking about their hairdo and you know, uh, why are they sitting there? That's my seat. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that nobody else hears, but it's all going on inside our own heads. And by the time it comes out, there's either an explosion and uh, we blow up on the people around us, or there's an implosion and our emotional world is broken or our, our physical world breaks down or relationships are are. are help the hostage because we withdraw from people. And it might sound crazy, but all of us have conversation in our heads that no one hears. And we can imagine what other people think about us. 
We can slay other people with our thoughts, true? We can destroy ourselves with the negative. People are thinking things all the time, like if I'm feeling this way, then I must be a failure. If I'm tempted in this way, then I must have screwed up all of God's work in me. And all these battles are raging and we're thinking about it, but no one else knows about it. It's in our own head. And then we have anxiety that comes with that, or we, we're weighed down, or we feel depressed, and it's all happening in our head, and we wonder why we feel the way we feel. Jesus addresses the thought life in Matthew 5 when he says, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I'm not going to address the adultery question that Jesus was speaking directly to, but I do want you to notice that Jesus lets us know that there is a direct relationship between your thoughts and your heart. There is a direct relationship between your thoughts and your heart, your soul, who you are. And whatever happens up here goes in here. It happens. It, it, it moves its way there somehow. And with all the craziness going on around us, sometimes I think we get caught up in all kinds of conversations and anger around us, and it makes its way into our hearts, and we feel a huge lack of peace, or we feel unsettled about life. And, you know, the Bible begins to point its focus on we need to control our own thought life. And, of course, even church history thinks that way. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I like that phrase because it's true. We can control what's actually happening in our own head. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 today. If you have your Bibles, hold them up so I can see them. Ephesians chapter 4, electronic and otherwise. Remember, we've been talking about Ephesians this month, so I want you to be rooted in it. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has already spent time talking about the centrality of Jesus and his grace. And it's by grace that we're saved, not our actions. And, and then he begins to talk about how we're grafted into the family of God. And by the time we get to chapter 4, he's beginning to move us towards relationships and the world that's around us and discovering how we can have victory or connection between us and God and our purpose and the people that are around us. Ephesians chapter 4, he also talks about two doors or two options that we can walk through. Verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them, gives because they have closed their what? minds and harden their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, everybody said throw off, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, I'm going to break this down just a bit today for you because Paul begins to address this very inward part of us that needs to be connected before our outward world is connected. 
And he starts by talking about the two doors or options we have when we're frustrated. Which pathway are we going to take? Which direction are we going to go? The first one is the old way. He says in the old way, they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. The old way is to keep the frustration, to hold on to it, or to blow up on other people, or to point the finger or, uh, at people. And I didn't say which finger. I'm just saying you, you, you blame other people. You, you look at others as the, the source of all your problems. That's the old way. But whatever happens inside of here between your ears disconnects people from the life that God gives. Paul is saying if you follow this path, you miss out on what God offers. The second option is the new way. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He says, learned the truth about Jesus. You can learn a new way. Now, some of you grew up, I don't know what your background is, and somewhere in your history you had bad experiences. Maybe you grew up in dysfunction. Nowadays, everybody's got dysfunction. Hello. But somewhere you look at other people and you go, my life is worse than other people because of the way I was raised. I had bad parents. I had bad experiences. And you kind of have this in your brain, in your thought life, that somehow you're fundamentally flawed because there's something wrong with your DNA. That is the old way. Paul is saying you can learn a new way. You can learn a new way. You are not relegated to a prison of your history, but you can learn a new way. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can learn a new way. And then he says in verse 23, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So you can follow the sinful nature in your old way, or you can instead, everybody said instead, you choose to do something different. It's as simple as that. You choose a different option, okay? Instead, you can't be both happy and frustrated. Now, in the church world, many people on the outward, how you doing? Really good. Bless God, brother. We're like perfected the art of being fake sometimes, right? But he's not saying be fake. He's just saying, instead, choose a different pathway. When you hit your moment, and you will, you can choose a different pathway. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit. In other words, allow him to take over. Allow the Spirit to be the one that guides you instead of your old way of doing things, your old pathways. In a sense, it's like saying, okay, I'm going to scoot over out of the driver's seat and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit scoot in and begin to direct me. It's an opportunity. He says, let him. You have to let him. It isn't just going to drop on you just because he came to church today. doesn't mean tomorrow when you hit your moment of frustration that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to overwhelm you and the Holy Spirit's going to make everything brand new just for you at the moment if you don't let him. 
You have to open the door. You have to bring the invitation. You need to invite him into the moment. And then it says renew, and he will renew, renew your thoughts and attitudes. To renew is to make like new, to restore to freshness, to vigor or perfection. It's to make like new. How many would love your thoughts and your heart and your attitudes to be made new? That's the opportunity that the Spirit makes available. You go, yes, I want this, but how, Pastor Nate? I've heard the church say that I can have joy. I've heard the church say that there is peace. I've heard the church say there's other options, but how? How? Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, don't copy everybody else. Don't do what you, everybody else is doing. Don't just put all your frustrations out on Facebook. Hello. Don't just make everybody else look like a jerk on Twitter. If I could, I would read this to President Trump right now. Don't just throw it out there that way. Follow the new way. It's for everybody. Come on, somebody. Man, I feel like I just stepped on a bunch of toes. It's like you can't even say the word President Trump in the house. I pray for my president, but the, my president's not a perfect person. And neither am I, and neither are you. So we all can follow the Bible together, amen? Funny. What he says is transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Well, how do you change the way you think? There, we're finally getting to it. I know I need to change the way I think, but I don't know how. I've always thought this way. I've always dealt with difficulty this way. When I'm ticked off at somebody, I always get angry this way. How do I begin to change the way I think? Well, first of all, you need to know this. Change happens at the intersection of your old life and the new life offered through Christ. It's going to happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. In church, we're all good. But when we get in the car on the way home, hello. When are we going to eat? I don't like what we're eating. Nobody wanted to go out with me today for lunch. And then all of a sudden, the cycle of emotions and thoughts kick into gear. We go to work and our boss is a certain way. We're frustrated by them or frustrated by a colleague or a coworker or a classmate or a teacher. And that's when it kicks in. In the moment of our pain and frustration is the intersection between the old life and the new life. It's not at the altar here at the church, friends. It's actually in the moment of your real life. If you want to change the way you think and you only change Sunday morning from 11 to 1, you aren't going to change your life. You have to learn to take the gospel into your Tuesday afternoon when you're like, I'm already here. I started my day off right, but she talked to me a certain way, and now my wake is wrecked. That's where the intersection of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your life begins right there. That's the moment. 
See, we all got thoughts. Even Paul, the apostle, had thoughts. And his thoughts were internal, but he got to write them out. What are your thoughts? Where's your hope coming from? Michelle's going to help me. Just articulate it in a different way, the thoughts that we have and how they rattle around in our head and where's our help coming from. Would you give it up for Michelle? I stand on the outside looking in where do these feelings come from why do I feel why do the emotions real yet the more I stand here the more I feel numb I feel it I say it but I'm the same can't change it I'm desperate but I'm stuck where I plant my feet It's a constant battle behind enemy lines. I'm fighting up here, but you all think I'm fine. Sure, I've come a long way. My whole life has changed, but there's pieces of my past that just haven't gone away. I'm going through the motions, the recycling of emotions. It's as if I'm being tossed back and forth in the oceans with waves upon waves of confusion, anxiety. I can't even fully grasp what's going on inside of me. Preach the gospel and fight the good fight. But people sure like to ignore what happens when the lights go dark in my heart. Lord, take me back to the garden. Transform me, change me, take my heart, rearrange me. I don't understand what I do and I don't know why I do it. It's not me, it's the sin. God, you gotta help me through it. Between my heart and my head, there's a void. I know you've given me a choice to seek you in your face, receive mercy, find grace. I choose you, make me new, the veil removed, shine your truth, Lord, flip the script, change the story, beholding your face, reflecting your glory, chaos left behind, life is redefined, and this life, well, this life is no longer mine, I will trust in you, God, so let go my soul, restore to me your spirit, peace, joy, self-control, Create in me a clean heart, no condemnation in your son, so let go my soul. Resurrection has begun. I love that. I love the tension even between the thought life and the song, it is well. Because ultimately we know that our soul is well when it comes to eternity, when we follow Jesus Christ, receive his forgiveness. But then we live in the tension between this moment and the day when we're face-to-face -face with Jesus. And in that tension, we can learn to sing, it is well, in any and every circumstance, with my soul, and deal with our thoughts. And we never outgrow our need for Jesus to enter our thought life. Romans chapter 7, Paul was talking about his thought life, and he said, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for 
I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I, what, that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. This guy is really confused, right? <laughs> I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Let me stop there. If we stop there, we have no hope. I'm like, man, this guy has written two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's saying, I don't have hope. I, I don't do what I want to do. And I would guess if I could ask for a show of hands and how many are disappointed with some of your decisions, all of us would raise our hands. But this is why Paul could say these things without feeling like he needed to quit and give up. Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And by the way, if you were to continue into chapter 8, you would discover that Paul had discovered the love of God that is so high and deep and wide that God's love overwhelmed his inabilities and that God had a way to weave everything together even though he felt like he was just a pile of puzzle pieces on a table. In your frustration, in your moment of intersection, when you're hitting the wall, when you're angry with your spouse, when it feels like you said something crass to someone else, or you were hurt by what somebody said to you, or you were feeling guilty or feeling hopeless in those moments, when you're down on yourself, it's in those moments, in your frustration, that you can open the door to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't like this, I need help. Lord, I sinned, I need help. Lord, I don't like myself, I'm insecure. Lord, I'm angry at this person, I need help. And this is where Jesus makes all the difference. He says in John chapter eight, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To know, that word know means this, to allow, to allow, to be aware of, to feel to have, to know, to have the knowledge, to perceive, to be resolved, to understand. You have to allow the truth to transform you in order to know the truth. Just to have it out there, to read the words don't mean anything. But when you enter the picture of the intersection of your life and you know Jesus in the moment of it, that's when he will set you free. To speak truth instead of lies. Now, this is where you got to be honest. When you got lies rolling around in your head and you're feeling insecure, and you feel like somebody else looks prettier than you, or somebody else has more money than you, or you feel like somebody else has more power than you, or you feel like there's an injustice and somebody did something wrong to you, 
In those moments, all of those emotions that are coming up, and many of them are thoughts, maybe they're rooted in how you were treated as a kid or a past experience. Whatever they're rooted in is irrelevant, actually, in this moment because they're all lies. And in those moments, you and I have to learn to take our thoughts to Jesus. God, this is what my thoughts are telling me. This is what my emotions are telling me. But at this moment, I need your truth in order to be free. I need to declare the truth that you bring to me instead of the lies. And we need to learn to speak the truth to our own head. And when we speak the truth to our own head, it makes its way into our hearts. It's the truth about what Jesus says we are. That our security is in Jesus and his actions and his grace, not ours. His grace has brought us into the promise and he gives us hope. Truths about who he is become truths to us. The truth is that that person is not a threat to your destiny. If you let him, Jesus will weave everything together for the good. Instead of sitting there and looking at the teacher giving favoritism to another student and you're frustrated by that and you want to jump in and you want to tell the truth and you want to create a conflict, if you take it to Jesus at the moment, he takes away your insecurity. They can't take your security away when your security is in Jesus. See, the truth is that you are forgiven. And instead of anger, you can gain the fruit of the Spirit. It's self-control. See, we can do this in our daily battles. The question is, what doors will we open? Doors to the Spirit or doors to bitterness, to offense? And by the way, make no mistake, Satan will offer you bait. He will bait you with things that have hit you before. Thoughts, triggers, buttons, that if they're pushed the right way, if we give in to those things, then he's got us. He takes our days, and then he takes our weeks, and he takes our months, and he takes our years. Because we took the bait. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't take the bait. Hey, let's be honest. Every one of us have buttons, and the people close to us in our lives know where those buttons are. And so they're going to push the buttons. There will always be somebody who pushes your buttons until you learn to close the door to the button. There's nothing there because I've taken it at the intersection time after as you learn and you're frustrated and you make mistakes, but you take it to Jesus in the middle of it and say, Jesus, teach me the truth. Look at the word of God. Teach me the truth instead of the lie that I'm feeling or the emotion that I'm feeling. Time after time, the more that you do it, it's like working out. The first workout does not make you a super stud athlete. Hello. But the more that you do it, the more that you do it, you apply the truth instead of the lie, the more it becomes norm for you and there's no longer a button to push. See, our hope is not in being perfect, but being in transparent in our challenges. And we all have reasons for why we are where we are. And it could be family of origin. It could be our mistakes. It could be our sin. It could be our hurt. But confession is an honest way to open the door to the Spirit in the intersection of life. Confession is the way we invite the Spirit in, in the middle of our moment. Confession, the New Testament word, Greek word for confess comes from two Greek words. And it's homo, which means the same, and logeo, which means to speak. 
When we confess, we speak the same thing to God as what he already sees. See, I got news for you. All those things have been rolling around in your head and you think nobody knows about it. If you're a Christian and you have the spirit of God living within you, he's been hearing you talk. He knows about those thoughts, okay? The devil can't because the blood of Jesus protects you. But the spirit of God is there. And all he's waiting, he's waiting for you. He's like, you're going to let me help? You're going to let me help? You're going to let me in? You're going to let me help you through this? You're going to let me in? And as long as all we do is debate in our own brain between our ears, ourselves, and we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit, we don't allow him in, we don't throw an invite up to him, then it all stays inside of us. And it kind of accumulates over time. And it becomes like oil that's been sitting there for a long time and it gets really thick and you can't make your way out and you're wondering why does my heart feel so cluttered the reason your heart is full of clutter is because you haven't let the holy spirit take it out of you if in the moment you confess to god god this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm feeling you confess to god what he already sees you open up the door and allow the great cleaning crew of heaven to come in and take the junk out and then replace it with the joy and the peace that you've been longing for in the moment. So instead of sitting there and going, I must be the worst Christian of all because I have these bad thoughts. That is your moment to say, I have these bad thoughts. God help me. And in the moment you gain victory because you didn't give it to the devil and you didn't let it stay inside of you, now you know the truth and the truth sets you free. Can I get an amen? That's the moment. He sets you free. We speak the same thing to God as what he already sees. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all wickedness. 1 John 2, 1, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. See, Jesus is our advocate. He's our one that comes and helps us through, not just for sin, friends, but for all disconnection. I know parents who are hurting because they're disconnected from their children who have wandered from the family and perhaps from the faith. And they're disconnected. And they feel that anger, frustration, hurt. But you have an advocate when you bring Jesus into the story. And they're praying. And people are praying. And they're praying for their prodigal sons and daughters to come home. There is something that happens. God begins to shift the story. Instead of the devil using the knowledge that their kids are away from God as a button to force them into thinking they're losers or they did something wrong, now instead they begin to partner with Jesus. And when the day comes and their kids come home to faith, when relationship is restored, they are partners with Jesus and they are able to give him all the credit, all the glory, and all the honor. And by the way, our founding pastor used to say this, and I, and I believe it. If you have a prodigal friend or somebody that's walked away from God or a prodigal son or daughter, 
When the time comes, whether it be this year or next year or the year after, and you're praying for their return, you're praying for the uh, right relationship to return in, in, in the family, when they come, they better find you in church. Don't let the knowledge that's frustrating you erode your own faith. You stay firm. You stay focused on the truth. You speak the truth instead of the lie in the moment. When it comes, and it comes up, the emotion comes up, the hurt comes up. But when it comes up, it's not over as long as you have the advocate with you in the story. I know divorced people who somebody else did something to you. Somebody else chose to break up the marriage. And now it's over. But that doesn't mean your life is over. When you come to Jesus, you have an advocate because you can take your thoughts before him and he can take the broken pieces and put them back together again and he can give you hope and a future. I love the fact that at Emmanuel, we have many people that have broken marriage histories, but that doesn't mean a broken future for their life. God gives hope in the middle of the story. If you have disconnection in your life, if you have insecurity, the answer isn't becoming more pretty. The answer isn't becoming more beautiful or smarter or getting a better job so that you can outrank people. The answer isn't anything else. It starts with coming to the one, the only one that can give you true security. And say, Jesus, I need you. I'm feeling this way. The feelings are real. But what you do with your thoughts and your feelings next determine your future. In the middle of the moment, confess it to the one who is your advocate and he will make your path straight. We learn to live in his grace and his grace helps us. He helps us relieve ourselves and stop beating ourselves up. If you're here today and you're beating yourself up, that's not the truth you're living out. For you are God's loved daughter or God's loved son. He loves you. And by his grace, he can release you from beating yourself up. But you can also release others from whatever it is that they're doing because you're not the judge. Say this with me. I'm not the judge. You leave those battles, those things up to God and allow God to handle them. And then you can grow with others. We can be broken in community, helping one another, forgiving one another, sharpening each other. If we were really to open our eyes and we were to, our ears, and we were to hear all the conversations in the heads of people that are in this room right now, you would recognize we're all broken. We're all going through it. We all got stuff. But Jesus is our answer. And that's why we come to him. Today we're going to be receiving communion together. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to participate. They're going to be distributing the elements on each of our campuses. And I want you to hear what 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said about the brokenness that was inside of him. He said, each time Jesus said to him, because Paul was talking about the thorn in his flesh, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my what? Weaknesses. 
and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It, you want reconnection, you want connection to purpose, connection to the relationships in your life, it starts with admitting where your weaknesses are and bringing them to Jesus.